the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is as too weak a word. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV. It's back in Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 51 of the Next Best Picture podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today, it is Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. William Mavity. Live from Los Angeles. Not live, actually, but close enough. <laughs> as close as one could possibly get, at least. We are a podcast of coastal elites. Yeah, we are taking over. We're moving up in the world, yeah. Yeah, we're doing a pretty, pretty swell job of things, I must say, overall. Gentlemen, 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 I hope you are both well. Tell me, have you guys seen anything this week? Catch up on anything recently? I have. I saw an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Action. Oh, yeah, nice, nice, nice. Um, better than an inconvenient uh, truth for? Oh, I thought it was because this isn't just a PowerPoint movie. Like, you're going all around the country with Al Gore, seeing what he's doing, hearing him talk, and it doesn't just feel like a lecture. Like, it flew by. He's a great guy, very entertaining, even though the prospects of what's happening is terrible. Uh, yeah, I... I was moved. I want to take action. He talks to some great people. It was just a great documentary. So obviously last time Al Gore produced one of these documentaries, he won an Oscar. Do you think this film stands a chance to be a contender again this time around? I'm not sure because some people might just see it as more of the same, even though it's in sort of a different format. So, I mean, I don't know. The political landscape has changed so much since then. It's hard to say whether or not they'll want to reward it even more or just stay away from it far away from it as possible yeah the buzz feels pretty muted on this one yeah it didn't do super well in the box office as opposed to the last one which was sort of a sensation interesting huh but i liked it well i'm glad to hear that i um haven't been able to catch it myself um uh tommy has actually been doing a really fantastic job of covering all kinds of different documentaries here in the new york area uh for the site actually and i i'm slowly catching up on documentaries i uh i just recently i, I don't know why it took me this long but i just recently watched uh five came back on netflix oh uh, how was that it's amazing you need to get on it and watch that like right away it is yeah, so i've only good. seen part one i need to see the rest of it oh i watched the whole thing in one sitting it was so great and merle narrates Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, How about you, Will? Yeah, so I've been busy this week, but I did manage to catch at least one film. That was Ingrid Goes West. Me too. I really liked it. It's very, very uncomfortable. I think it gets a little messy in the third act. Um, It kind of rambles getting to where it needs to go. But I I mean, it, it genuinely made me laugh a lot. And it's extremely uncomfortable, deliberately so. I mean, it accomplishes its goal well. I enjoyed most of the cast. Thought Elizabeth Olsen was very good. You know, I def- there are definitely people like that who exist. 
uh, to the T. And then Aubrey Plaza, I mean, I've always enjoyed her, but she was way, way, way on a different level than she's ever been before here. I mean, she was fantastic. So it, it's not an amazing film, but it's it's a good film. It's an entertaining film that I certainly enjoyed. Yeah, I questioned the, the uh, moral lesson, if you will, uh, as we got into the third act uh, of the movie, even though I did find it to be emotionally impactful. Aubrey Plaza, you're right. She is pretty damn incredible in this role, I, I felt. And it's so refreshing to see O'Shea Jackson Jr. in a movie again after uh, Straight Outta Compton. And he's hysterical in this as well. The whole cast is great. I really, really, really did enjoy this movie, and I could see why it was a good hit out of uh, Sundance this year. So I urge people to definitely check out the film if it's in their area. I I found it to be uh, the cringiest cringe fest of awkward comedies I have seen probably this year, and also one of the darkest, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it goes to some pretty pretty dark and disturbing places, especially as the film wears on. But as a character study, um, I found it to be so, so interesting. It it was like, the best way I could describe it is it's basically Taxi Driver for the social media age. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Slap that on a poster. All right, so if if you're listening, Inger goes West promotional team, quote Matt Neglia here. Yeah. (laughs) Don't do that. Um, No, but really do that. No, but... It, it's okay. In any event, though, um, Michael, I got to give you some credit, by the way, of, of your uh, take on an inconvenient sequel for a moment. Because in my hand, I, I went to the bookstore yesterday and I found this book called Talking Pictures uh, How to Watch Movies by Anne, Anne Hordaday. Yeah. And it's a movie, uh, it's a book, rather, that uh, teaches you how to watch movies from an objective point of view. And I thought about mailing it over to you. <laughs> but. After hearing your breakdown of an inconvenient sequel just now, I, uh, I, I I have to go back on that. And I have to say, sir, as somebody who clashes with me as often as you do, you have such a great way of illustrating your point. And this is all stemming from a podcast that I heard you on this week. Yes, my in-session appearance. Shout out to my boys over at In Session Film, uh, J.D. Durant, Brandon Cassidy, and J.D. also helped me out this week uh, by uh, being on my show to help review The Glass Castle. And you were on their show for Detroit. And Mike, I, I, once again, as always, even if y- we don't agree, the way that you express your point, I think it's uh, kind of miraculous, really. <laughs> <laughs> Because there are times where I just want to reach through this digital computer screen and strangle you. Was that too dark? But, but, but I'll let you have it. Uh, yeah. In any event, though, um, kudos to you, my friend. You represented Next Best Picture very, very well, and I was very, very happy for you. Oh, well, thank you very much. And I so enjoyed being on their podcast. We had a lot of fun talking about uh, American history movies and just uh, the industry in general. So for anybody that doesn't think that I'm ever nice to Michael Schwartz... You, you heard it here first. <laughs> um, this week, we have a couple of things that we're going to be going over. We're going to be going over Steven Soderbergh. We're going to be talking about Logan Lucky. We're going to be talking about a couple trailers that dropped this week as well. Uh, the two that we're going to be covering will be Mother, Darren Aronofsky's uh, new film, as well as the comedy from Armando Inanucci with this really hysterical cast of actors and actresses called The Death of Stalin. So I wanted to dive right in, first of all, 
uh, to talk about Mr. Steven Soderbergh. But before I do that, let's go over the uh, last week's poll results. So last week's poll asked everybody, which Woody Harrelson performance is your absolute favorite? And there were a lot of choices here. I mean, we pretty much went through Woody Harrelson's entire career. We even had a write-in option which we got two votes for there, uh, for A Scanner Darkly, and also for uh, Game Change. Uh, Those were not on the official list, but leading in first place with 22.73% of the vote. Can anybody guess what the audience voted on as the best Woody Harrelson performance? Hmm. Messenger? Was it one of his Oscar-nominated ones? Nope. Zombieland? Leading the way, number one is Zombieland. Hey, I agree with that. I adore his performance in that. And in number two, the second place position, we had a tie. In second place, with 13.64% of the vote, the tie was between The People versus Larry Flint and White Men Can't Jump. White Men Can't Jump? Well... Never even seen that one. And then in third place, with 11.36% of the vote, any final guesses? The Messenger? Nope. Apparently people have not really seen The Messenger. Uh, It was Natural Born Killers. Another one I haven't seen. Just bizarre aesthetically film. I I, I can see liking Harrelson in that, though. I'm so happy about Zombieland. I did not expect that to do as well as it did. I thought I was the only one who that was my favorite performance of him. Uh, The internet loves that movie. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, the movie's funny as all hell. I think it's hysterical. Um, And he's pretty good in it, too. He's very, very, very entertaining in it. So thank you for everyone who voted on that. I really, really do appreciate your votes. And we now are going to ask you about this week's poll. And this week's poll is a, a tough one as well. So much so that we're giving you the option to choose two choices And the poll is asking, which Steven Soderbergh film is your favorite? So many to pick from. It's funny. He's one of these directors like uh, Clint Eastwood, where his filmography is so diverse. And then when you look at all the movies he's done going back, it's like everything before, I want to say, like, out of sight, you almost forget about it because he does so many. And then when you look at Eastwood, you look at everything before, I don't know, Mystic River. And it's like, oh, my God, I forgot he did all of these. That's a very, very true statement. Um, although Sex, Lies, and Videotape, I think, stands out pretty Pretty iconic, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's probably his biggest one of that era. Then you go to, like, King of the Hill and uh, Grey's Anatomy, all these other movies. And it's like, oh, yeah, I sort of forgot about that one. King of the Hill is pretty underrated, though, I feel like. it's not, It doesn't get talked about enough, but it's really great. Choosing the best Steven Soderbergh film is so tough though because he's a filmmaker that's never satisfied with anything that he does pretty much he's always looking to stretch himself as an artist and as a filmmaker whether it's working in different mediums uh shooting on film versus digital uh, different ways of uh storytelling different genres the guy does it all pretty much he's a true auteur uh, so much so that he pretty much has taken over um how logan lucky was shot, how it's produced, and how it's going to be yeah, distributed. Doesn't he DP all of his own films under a pseudonym? Generally speaking, yeah. yeah. Marianne Bernard. <laughs> it's uh, wild. 
I know, right? So the Roderick Jenkins of uh, <laughs> Roderick Jaynes. Oh, is it Roderick Jaynes? That's what it was. Yeah, the yeah, Coen yeah. Brothers uh, editing name. And Soderbergh movies are so different. Oh yeah. I mean, yet they have this underlying like style to them that's the same. But usually, what they're about is different in weird ways that you can't really say which one's the best because there's not one to compare the other one to in a lot of situations. Uh. Which one do you think is his most ambitious, then? I think Traffic, right? I would say Traffic or Che. I have yet to see Che. I've been told for years I need to see it. But Traffic is an incredibly impressive film. It does what Crash tried to do, but actually really pulls it off. You know, there's a lot of complex intertwined plots that feel like they belong together instead of being forced together. And it's got a good emotional payoff, great performances, an interesting set of aesthetics. Like, I think Traffic is his most ambitious, but it's also probably, of the films of his I've seen, just my favorite regardless. Yeah, I mean, that's a great movie. Question for for both of you, just a little bit of Oscar history here, because Traffic famously won every Oscar it was nominated for, except for Best Picture. And... That included a Best Director win for Steven Soderbergh himself, who also directed Aaron Brockovich in the same year, which was pretty unheard of at the time that he could achieve that uh, feat in terms of the um, critical praise and the Oscar praise that he received from both of those films as well. He was up for Best Director twice. Exactly. Uh, So much so that I think there's been a ruling since then um, that that can't happen, I think. Um, I could be wrong, uh, but I, I think I remember reading that somewhere. Uh, the thing I wanted to ask, though, in regards to that award ceremony is, would you have given Traffic uh, Best Picture to go along with the Best Director win, or would you have done Ridley Scott winning Best Director or and uh, Gladiator winning Best Picture like it did? Which of those two films would you have given both wins to? Just between those two movies, I think I would stick with Traffic just because I think it's a better movie. I actually liked how things panned out. I was very happy with that split that year. Gladiator has plenty of flaws, but it is such a satisfying movie that just, you know, it. I don't mind it winning Best Picture at all. And while I would like Ridley Scott to have gotten an Oscar, I think Soderbergh's ambition, as we mentioned earlier, was what truly made Traffic. And it was a bit of a surprise, as was that he won. He was probably in third place in most people's predictions. So, you know, no, I, I, I really liked the way it panned out. It acknowledged two of my favorite films of the 2000s in a single fell swoop. It's funny, though. If just choosing between the two films, I said I would do Traffic. But if looking at Best Picture as a whole, I would actually go for the other Soderbergh movie, Aaron Brockovich, that year. Now, why is that? I, I just like it better as a... No, for Picture. I ask again, why is that? <laughs> I, I would give, I mean, it's funny. I would give Soderbergh director for Traffic and Brockovich picture you have crushing tiger gladiator traffic what what is it about aaron brockovich i i i'm 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 intrigued by this uh, answer you're about to give here michael <laughs> i think aaron brockovich is such a great movie movie like movie movie with a capital m well it kind of harkens back to i guess like that sally field era uh type of you know yeah, drama like Ray, yeah Faces in the heart and it's just such a great smart it's not a blockbuster but it's a movie that sort of took uh the zeitgeist did it it did it had like a big following it was one of julia roberts big moments i mean i'm pretty sure it did over 100 million aaron brockovich 
Yeah, box office, $256 million worldwide, which is Well, huge. Julia Roberts was definitely a box office queen back then. The biggest sure. star in the world at that time. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I think it's her finest performance, and I think there's a lot about that movie that is just smart and representative of what a mainstream adult movie can be. But best and, picture? Yeah. Eh, nah. I, I think it's too small scale. Uh, not just... In terms of its storytelling and its message, I don't think it's um, a quote-unquote important movie for Best Picture. I think the Best Actress window for Julia is a great representation for the film um, in that year as a whole. And it has also helped that film stand the test of time where we're still talking about it till this day. So I think that that win was enough. I I do have to give a shout-out to uh, Albert Finney, though, for being nominated also for... uh, uh, best supporting actor for supporting that movie, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was. How is it he doesn't have an Oscar? Oh God, that is. He should get an honorary movie. Oscar if anyone's deserving of one. Like, put him toward the top of the list. What about uh, what about Benicio winning for Traffic? I love Traffic. I liked him in it. Um, I still really wanted Joaquin Phoenix to win for Gladiator. There are some people that feel that Joaquin's acting in Gladiator is overacting. It's a little too over the top, though. And isn't Del Toro a lead in Traffic? That whole SAG thing where he got into lead was... He won lead. I know, SAG. yeah. So bizarre. Yeah. I, Michael, I actually think that, you know, usually SAG is the authentic one and then they get category fraud with the Oscars. I actually think it would have been the opposite. I think that is a prime example of a film where everyone's supporting. I don't feel like he was frauded at the least in running and winning supporting. Would you agree with that, Matt? Uh, yeah. Because, Michael, he's one of, like, five leads. Like, he probably has equal or less screen time than Michael Douglas. Or, you know, like, it's 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 pretty well spread. What about... um? What about William Dafoe for Shadow of the Vampire? Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. I'm so glad that performance was nominated. I've never seen that movie. It's on my to-watch list. Oh, I think you would enjoy that movie a lot. And of course, uh, you've seen The Contender. No, I haven't. That's what? also on my to-watch list. I know. I can't believe I haven't seen The Contender. That seems right up my alley. Political drama that Michael Schwartz has not seen? Hey, Say it I was so. five years old when it came out. So? Oh, that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Michael's excuse for almost everything. Oh, this movie came out in 1950? I wasn't even born Michael, yet. Michael, my dad was taking me to see R-rated movies in the theater in first grade, you know? Well, the first R-rated movie I saw was Step Brothers, so <laughs> oh my God. I got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? <laughs> oh, this is a good day for Michael and Matt bonding. I would, I would have personally have uh, kept Benicio. I think that, um, I, because I, I, the way I see it is Joaquin's going to win someday. I don't know if we'll see Benicio uh, back at the stage again. Although I would argue that his performance in Che is even better. It seems like he's done obviously his best work working with. Steven Soderbergh, uh, from the from the looks of things, when you take a look at his career overall, uh, in terms of going back to Steven and tying it all together, though, uh, you know, we discussed his Oscar year. What do you guys think about like his last couple of films over these, uh, especially since like 2010 on? You know, you're looking at Contagion, Haywire, Magic Mike, Side Effects, Behind the Candelabra. These films are so all over the place in so many different ways. Um, you can't really quite pin him down to a certain genre, like you were saying. 
big cast, low budget, interesting stories, and he just seems to roll them out. Yeah, he seems to be able to produce uh, a film every year, uh, it seems, except um, since, well, behind the candelabra, we haven't had a film since because he, quote unquote, supposedly retired yeah, he went to Daniel Day-Lewis's retirement school. <laughs> yeah, and you know, one, one thing I would say about those is they're genre films that pretty much universally are better than they should be. I think most people would say Magic Mike, for what they expected it to be, had a lot more meat. That is not a movie, like a fun stripper movie. That is like a post-recession America's tale that just happens to have men without their shirts. I could not believe... I was, like, dumbfounded. I couldn't believe that Magic Mike was actually a grid movie <laughs> when I saw it. Because the marketing for that film would lead you to believe that this is a pure cash grab, um, showgirls-esque movie. And that's exactly what I thought it was going to be when I went into Which it. Which was so smart on their part because it made, like, $100 million. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, people got what they wanted out of it. But I know people that went into it expecting one thing and they walked out saying, oh, I didn't like that. But for all the reasons that they didn't like it were all the reasons that I did like it. <laughs> Yeah, that was the sequel, which still had like an art house flair to it and feels like it was directed by Soderbergh. But it's not. Even though it technically wasn't, but no. he he was on set. He was probably on set during that He's whole He's a thing. cinematographer on that movie. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He was. Yeah. And then uh, side effects, I thought, you know, like could have been your run of the mill thriller, but ended up being in a great year like 2013 probably still ended up in my top 20 films of 2013 yeah that's a nifty little movie i was underwhelmed by side effects but contagion scared the hell out of me though oh my god oh man yeah i i am a massive germaphobe i will never touch bar peanuts after that movie because the opening scene of paltrow coughing on her hand and then like grabbing the peanuts out of the you know like the bar serving utensil oh god so I remember seeing Contagion before it even opened. I was at a preview screening. There were no reviews. I really didn't know what to expect. And the scene where they open her head oh. was like, oh, my God. And then just the way that it all ends, I won't say it for people who still haven't seen it, but just the very last shot of that movie is enough to make you sick. <sighs> that, is a, that, that, might be, that might be one of his top five best best films i think and i i really think that people need to give that one another look if they yeah r- wrote it off a couple years ago everyone's so good in a kate winslet marion Cotillard. yeah the cast is truly phenomenal in that one for sure um i the only one here that has seen logan lucky i'm not going to say anything on it suffice to say um there's not much to really take away from the movie on a deep level or you know, a, a, a lesson to be learned or anything like that at all. This is just a pure popcorn, go to the movies, have fun, hot, you know, entertainment. And he's really good with that. He's done the Oceans movies, of course, but then he has like The Informant and Behind the Candelabra, two of my favorites, yeah. which he makes them fun, but there's also like another level to them. Yeah, Logan Lucky doesn't have that other level. that's fine that's like in the oceans movies they're just there to be there and this movie is to a t the oceans movies so much so that there is an actual line in the movie that says that uh this is pretty much oceans (laughs) 7-eleven so uh, i definitely recommend everybody to check it out be sure to vote on this week's poll remember you can choose two choices of what you think are uh steven soderbergh's uh, best films your favorite films however you want to you know look at the poll 
by all means, take a look at that. Go ahead and cast your vote. We will announce the results next week. And also be sure to check out Logan Lucky opening in theaters this week. Hey everyone, I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh, new releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty, or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. Alright, cool. Alright, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Okay, so we have some fan questions here relating to Mr. Soderbergh from Matt St. Clair at FilmGuy619. He's asking, what is your favorite performance in a Steven Soderbergh film? Well, there's so many good ones in different ways. A lot of choices. I mean, we, we did talk about Benicio Del Toro in Traffic and in Shea there for a minute. But, um, Michael, you brought up The Informant before. I don't think I've ever seen Matt Damon do anything like that before. He's super great in that movie. He put on a lot of weight. He's pretty wacky in it. You know, that's probably my choice for number two in terms of best Soderbergh performances. Uh, But I think for my favorite, I'd have to go with Michael Douglas in Behind the Candelabra. Yeah, that was a very, very acclaimed performance and definitely deserved all the awards it got. Poor Matt Damon had to play second fiddle to him all season. (laughs) But he's terrific, too. He's so good whenever he works with Soderbergh. Yeah. Between... That and the informant. Did, so. did we like him in Contagion? Now I was about to say he was like the weak link in that. For that, his what happened? What happened? You know, scene <laughs> did not seem like it really played well on camera. And this is an actor I normally really like. Um, favorite performance in a Soderbergh film. You know, I am very partial towards James Spader in Sex Lies and Videotape in a very big way. I think Rooney Mara in Side Effects is incredible. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved her in that. So, Matt, what is your problem with that film? Um, I I haven't seen it since it came out, and I probably should revisit it, I suppose, but I just remember being underwhelmed by it, and I don't... It, 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 it's, I, you know, with all the films I've seen since then, I've kind of blocked it out of my memory. I think I need to re- rewatch it. Catherine Zeta-Jones is really good in that. The whole cast is really good. Uh, I think that's what it was. I, I, you just reminded me. I don't think I liked the twist at the end. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I mean, it's... I give it a second chance. I thought it's so intricately woven together. It's exceedingly well acted. You know, it's it's him channeling his most David Fincher in the mm-hmm. way it's put together. There was kind of in that period with that and Contagion. You know, they feel very Social Network-esque and stuff. I, I don't know. I think it's... It's such a delightful, twisty thriller. It's what, what does Michael call it? Like the $40 million movie? I felt like it's a prime example of those. A mid-budget yeah. adult drama that's, you know, above average in its intelligence. I, I wish we had more like that. Can we pay special mention to Terrence Stamp in The Limey for a moment? Has anybody here seen that? No. I have not. Oh. But I love Terrence Stamp. Damn. Okay, I'm putting that on your uh, to-watch list uh, for this week. Um, I highly urge people to check that one out if you have not seen it. His performance in that is pretty damn good. Uh, but you know what? I think my I think my favorite has to probably go to Matthew McConaughey and Magic Mike. He's terrific in that, and he got some awards mentions that year. Remember, we all thought that he was gonna uh, probably get an Oscar nomination after he won, and get ready for this. He won Independent Spirit Award. 
National Society of Film Critics, and the New York Film Critics as well. And he didn't even get a nomination from Critics' Choice, which baffled me. Um, didn't get a Golden Globe nomination, none of that. But it did help pave the way for his eventual Oscar window, I would say. Yeah, it's the film that really starred the reconnaissance, as we would describe it. Yep. That was a good year for him. Is the reconnaissance over? I just I just want to ask what we think about it. Oh, that. it's over. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, it's over. It's lost somewhere in the Sea of Trees. Sea of Trees? Go see him in the freaking Dark Tower. Actually, no, don't go see the Dark Tower. But, <laughs> my God, it's not... Oh, man. It's like he won the Oscar, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we're just going to go back to the stuff we were doing before. Yeah, and he signed up for a surfer film, too, you know, like, which is The Beach Bum, which is exactly what he doesn't want to do. The only thing that gives me hope is Stephen Knight's next movie that has uh, him leading along with Anne Hathaway, Diane Lane, Jason Clark, Jimon Honsu, uh, might be good. And Stephen Knight's a talented guy, so... Maybe that can kind of put McConaughey back on the right track, but... They have to change the name of that movie. It's called Serenity, and I'm sorry to say, but there's another movie with that title that is probably going to be better than this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Great movie, indeed. Um, Okay, cool. So thank you so much for that one, uh, Matt St. Clair. And now moving away from the Soderbergh theme for a second here and moving over to a more personal and direct question. This one is specifically for you, Michael Schwartz. Oh, this one comes from Danny M cinema paradox on Twitter. What are your top three favorite films set in the Philadelphia area? Quote unquote, your neighborhood. (laughs) Philadelphia. What a great cinematic city that is. Oh, Uh, God. I've also come to the conclusion that anybody that lives in Philadelphia who has listened to the show probably hates me. For constantly just we bashing you passionate for city, Matt. Yeah, you don't want to piss off those Philadelphians, Matt. They will. Come. I mean, you're a New Yorker, but I don't know if you could take them. Hey, listen, I, I just... watched DCW in the, in the early '90s. Okay, I know that Philadelphia is a bunch of bloodthirsty, crazy people, and they will beat the crap out of you if you yeah. piss them that's off. In, <laughs> that's in South Philly. <laughs> <laughs> we are the city of brotherly love all i'm saying is i've seen invincible with mark Wahlberg, and i know those those guys are tough <laughs> yes vince papali <laughs> well i'll tell you there are no m night Shyamalan movies that make my list even though the sixth sense is very good i like split earlier this year mm. and they're all filmed right in my neighborhood which is pretty neat but uh as for top three uh gotta go with rocky obviously because that's like the quintessential philadelphia movie obviously Silver Linings Playbook, which I yeah. adore. Uh, also filmed at the local diner that I go to. Which, so that's always fun to sit in the booth that Pat and, Pat and Tiffany eat at. And, uh, of course, the movie with the same name as the city, Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington. Uh, you say that Philadelphia has this tough vibe to it, which is definitely true. This goes toward that uh, brotherly love spirit and the connection that we all have. And if you're from the city, you just get what it's doing, in addition to being a great story to begin with. You ever see Witness, Michael? That's setting up, set yes. up there, isn't it? Yeah, Witness starts in Center City, then goes out to Amish country, which, uh, not technically Philadelphia, but it's a great movie nonetheless. Once again, Michael impressing with the great choices today and the explanations behind them. The Philadelphia story, too. Classic. Oh, Philadelphia story is so good. Michael Shorts, what about National Treasure? <laughs> Yeah, well, I got to give National Treasure. That gets points for filming at the Reading Terminal Market. 
and just being crazy as is. I love how Will and I would just like quiet, like what market? What? (laughs) (laughs) You got to go to the Reading Terminal Market. It's just a bunch of food stands, and it is so great. You got a Philly cheesesteak there. Oh, what a great afternoon that is. So, this next question, guys, this is actually going to be a um, a whole list, and I'm really excited about this because I think this is a lot of fun. This came from Josh Parm in an email. Thank you so much, Joshua. I'm really, really excited to talk about this one. So this is a would you rather watch question with a single twist, okay? So it's a choice between two films with their directors swapped. So it's basically, as an example, would you rather watch The the Prestige, directed by David Fincher, or The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, directed by Christopher Nolan? Oh, that's interesting. I think Prestige by Fincher. I would say Benjamin Button by Nolan. Yeah, I would say Prestige by Fincher. I think that uh, Fincher's aesthetic would lend itself better to something like that. Curious Case of Benjamin Button is not a film that I could see Christopher Nolan even making because I just don't feel like his style would mesh with that kind of a story. See, I say that because Fincher is usually a dark filmmaker, and the fact that he had heart in Benjamin Button just credits the story. So I'd like to see what Nolan could do with that as well and see if he could retain this heart and spirit of it. It's fascinating that you say that, though, because there are so many people who were left cold by Curious Case of Benjamin Button. And when you listen to Fincher in many interviews, I mean, the whole movie is basically about death, you know? Oh, uh, But I was just immensely moved by them meeting in the middle and everything that comes with that. Sure. I still think it was odd that Fincher even chose to do that. That seems so far out of his wheelhouse. Well, I think I think he said it was made in the aftermath of his father dying, so mm. it was a more uh, personal kind of film because he wanted to make a film about mortality. So that's my favorite Fincher movie. You know, it's not my favorite, but it's one of the ones that I will always go to bat for because people love to trash it so much. I I, I do think it's much better than people think it is. Uh, next one is Big Fish, directed by the Coen Brothers. Or a serious man directed by Tim Burton. Oh my God! <laughs> okay, so there, there's a clear answer here, right? Like, is as long as I don't have to watch Tim Burton's A Serious Man as retaliation, then I think the obvious answer is I would love to see a Coen Brothers Big Fish. I, I concur. Yeah, I just, I mean, A Serious Man needs the Coen touch. That's that's it. Yeah. Big Fish could have the Coens doing that. This one is mind-boggling. You guys ready for this one? I, Josh, I credit to you for putting these together, man. These are these are great. Oh, my God. Cloud Atlas, directed by Wes Anderson, or The Grand Budapest Hotel, directed by the Wachowskis? Oh, my... Oh! <laughs> uh, Jesus. Well, I got my answer. I'll wait for the two of you. I would personally like to see The Grand Budapest, directed by the Wachowskis. Yeah, I think... I I literally cannot fathom Wes Anderson doing Cloud Atlas. See, that that's just... what I was going to say. Anderson doing Cloud Atlas. But how really? though? Like that, that? That's not quirky. That's nothing. I I don't see how that material matches with him as a director. It. I don't know what it would look like. I just want to see what it would look like. <laughs> just be Tom Hanks standing in the middle of the frame, completely well centered, and just saying that that is the truth. Truth. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? He could have done all the Jim Broadband nursing home stuff. Uh, yeah, that would have been that would have been fun, I suppose. Actually, because that yeah, that leads itself to Wes Anderson's uh, sensibilities a little bit more. So, 
Uh, Midnight in Paris, directed by Catherine Bigelow, or The Hurt Locker, directed by Woody Allen? <laughs> oh, okay. You know, just to see what Woody Allen directing a war film would be like. I need it. to see a Woody Allen war movie. Wait, I need to Woody see Allen directing The Hurt Locker would be like Jared Kushner standing in the Middle East with his like little bulletproof vest. Did you see that picture from a few weeks ago? No. You know, like, uh... You know what this is, Matt? This is one time John Stewart talked about if you really want to stop like gun culture in America, you should have like Woody Allen take over the next Bourne film and just see how it turns out. I think that's exactly what this is right here. <laughs> I, I I have to say that uh, the Hurt Locker by Woody Allen, I. I would love to see that just from a standpoint of Woody Allen, if, if, if only he can write the screenplay still. If he has to direct the, the screenplay as is, I don't think it would work at all. But if Woody Allen could just rewrite that screenplay as a satirical uh, war comedy, gold. Uh, yeah, I just I, I just have to defuse. I can't do Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just have to defuse the bomb. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> the Counselor, directed by Lee Daniels, or The Paperboy, directed by Ridley Scott? Oh my god, The Counselor by Lee Daniels. That movie could have used some Lee Daniels. <laughs> that was the whole problem with it. It was, like, so slow and weird. Yeah, that but it also even... just, it had, like, Cormac McCarthy is a great writer. Cormac McCarthy apparently should not write scripts. I don't think that's really Ridley's fault. That's just... No, it's kind of Ridley's fault in terms of how he paced that movie out. When you have Cameron Diaz... Climbing a car in the way she did, Lee Daniels would have been all over that. I mean, that's evidenced by what he did with the Paperboy. These are both very trashy films. <laughs> um, yeah, I would, I would, I would say I would like to see The Counselor by Lee Daniels. Yes. Uh, I guess. Yeah. Sure. It's okay. You could say The Paperboy by Ridley Scott. How did he come up with these? I have no idea, and that's why I love them. All right, this one's gonna really blow Michael's mind. You, you ready for this one, Michael? Let's hear it. Lincoln, directed by Ava DuVernay, or Selma, directed by Steven Spielberg? They're both such good movies. Oh, God, they are. I'd say, mm, would Lincoln still have the Tony Kushner script? Um, I think that, bo- yeah, because Ava and Steven are not writers. So let's assume that because they're not writers, they would work with the scripts that they're given. Well, even though Ava did do a lot of work on the Selma script, she just doesn't have the credit with it. I, I would say... That's a tough one, but I would say Ava on Lincoln. I love, 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 love Lincoln so much. I can't bear myself to separate Steven from that movie. I know. It, it, it was tough. I would like to see Selma by, by Spielberg. Yeah, I mean, yes. I, I, Daverna did a spectacular job with that movie. I am excited to see what Spielberg does with anything. So tough call, but I think that. Her, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, or Inherent Vice, directed by Spike Jones. Inherent Vice, directed by Spike Jones. Her, by Paul Thomas Anderson. I say Inherent Vice, directed by Spike Jones as well, although I would like to see both. The only way I would say Inherent Vice is if uh, Spike Jones can make it clearer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what I would... I, I, I think that's where that film kind of retains uh, kind of its uh, charm in a way, though, is the fact that it's not clear. That was one wacky movie. Absolutely. The Departed by Quentin Tarantino or Inglorious Bastards by Martin Scorsese? Hmm. Scorsese and Doing Bastards. I agree. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, directed by Tom Ford or Nocturnal Animals by Bill Condon? 
Holy shit. Oh, that's an easy answer. Beauty and the Beast directed by Tom Ford. That would be bizarre. I would love, 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 love to see that version. Wow. What type of Bill Condon are we talking here? Like, would it be Nocturnal Animals the Musical? Just Bill Condon. Hmm. We're talking, we're talking once again, he's given the script for Nocturnal Animals, and he's told, and the studio tells him, okay, you're being hired to direct this. Yeah, I mean, and like, he's done straight non-musical dramas before, like Mr. Holmes, Kinsey, you know, like... Gods and Monsters. Gods and Monsters, yeah, I mean, it would probably just be like that. I'm gonna go with Bill Condon doing uh, Nocturnal Animals. Just because I think Beauty and the Beast is perfect as is. Oh, God, I forgot. We have to kill him. Shoot me now. You can kill me. I'm, I'm very okay with it. The Skin I Live In, directed by David Cronenberg, or A History of Violence by Pedro Almodovar? Ooh. I haven't seen either. I'm going with The Skin I Live In by David Cronenberg. Yeah, yeah, that that does that kind of body horror type concept does feel right for Cronenberg. Yeah, that's like almost like a merger made in heaven right there, it almost seems like. I have to abstain. Oh, come on. No, I haven't seen either. I'm not really familiar with any. Oh, okay. Have you seen History of Violence? I haven't. History of Violence is very good. Very underrated. I haven't seen History of Violence. You haven't seen Into the Woods. We all have our blind spots. I've seen Into the Woods. I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) A more directed by Sofia Coppola or The Bling Ring directed by Michael Haneke. (laughs) (laughs) The Bling Ring by Haneke. Give that to me now. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh God! What? <laughs> oh, but can you imagine a more directed by Sofia Coppola? It would be like uh, Emmanuel Riva and John Louis Trintignant. Like, no, it's funny you say that because I could see Sofia Coppola directing uh, a more. I could see it. Michael Haneke directing a Bling Ring. I I can't imagine it. So I I, I need to see it. <laughs> um, and the last one. Drive by Damien Chazelle or La La Land by Nicholas Winding Refn. Mm. God, those both are so perfectly matched to the director. Drive by Chazelle. Yeah, I think he would be a better match for material than the other way around. You know why I said that, right? No. Because when they're done driving, they all get out of their car and start dancing. Ah! Oh man, yeah, I would love that. I don't remember them dancing in Drive. No, he, he, he's saying that, like, he would add in a musical number and basically segue into La La Land. But there is no there is no musical number. Michael, you're cheating. <laughs> That's not what the film would be. We're talking a director's visual aesthetic here and his filmmaking uh, sensibilities. We don't know yet that Damien Chazelle is going to be a straight-up musical director. Oh, well. I mean, I highly doubt it's in his Neil Armstrong film. <laughs> <laughs> they Dance on the Moon? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, jeez. Isn't that a movie, Dancing on the Moon? I don't think so, but I'd probably see it if it were. There's sex on the moon. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the true story of an intern who stole millions of dollars worth of priceless moon rocks and then had sex on them and rendered them utterly unusable. Wow. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for sending in your questions this week. We really, really appreciate it. That was a lot of fun uh, on our part. I really enjoyed that, Josh Parm. Kudos to you. Everybody give him a follow on the Twitter. Let's break down some trailers now, gentlemen. Let's jump right into the first one here. This is from Armando Inanucci, director of In the Loop, as well as series creator for Veep. This is a political satire film called The Death of Stalin. Let's take a look. Should we investigate? Should you shut the fuck up before you get us both killed? Stalin's dead. He's dead. Stalin is dead! Oh my God. 
Our general secretary is lying in a puddle of indignity. Yeah, he's feeling unwell, clearly. I want to make a speech at my father's funeral. Um, no problem. Technically, yes, but practically. When I said no problem, what I meant was no problem. Ignore me. Stalin would have wanted the committee as one. All those in favor. Carried you unanimously. We need change. Well, let's see who can mobilize first. Oh, seems to be me. Sneaky little shit. The race has started. We need to start putting together a plan. How can you run and plot at the same time? I have no idea what is going on. I'm the peacemaker, and I'll fuck up anyone who gets in my way. Come on! Craig better, you flattering fannies! Get it! Give it! Hit it! Shoot her before him, but make sure he sees it. Kill him, dump him in the pulpit. And I'll leave the rest up to you. We have to act. I really need your help. I'm going to have to report this conversation. Threatening to do harm or obstruct any member of the Presidium in the process of looking at your fucking face. <laughs> I took Germany. I think I can take a flesh lump in a waistcoat. No matter what happens, I will never let any harm come to you. I may as well just shoot myself like mother. Jesus Christ. Did Coco Chanel take a shit on your head? No, he did not. Stalin will be loving this. I'll take it from here. Good luck, ladies. You know, all of you can kiss my Russian ass. Don't worry, nobody's gonna get killed, I promise you. So anyone familiar with uh, um, with Armando's work, like, if you like, I, I, I can tell just by watching this trailer that if you like what he did with In the Loop or In the Thick of It, Veep, this just looks right up our alley. It's more of the same, but in a different context. And I'm, I'm loving every single second of it. I think Buscemi, Tambor, everybody just looks hysterically funny in this. It's, it's funny because I adore Veep. That's my favorite show on TV right now. And Armando made that show what it is. Like, it has his touch all over it. Well, In the Loop, I haven't seen since it came out in 2009. So I'm really due to rewatch that one. I'm so glad he's making another movie, though, because this just looks like a long episode of Veep set in Russia. I did not read up on this film at all when it came out. So I just. Oh, so you thought it was like a straight up drama? Yeah, I thought it was like a drama about like the. <laughs> chaotic aftermath of stalin's death and i start watching i was like oh it's chaotic all right (laughs) oh it looks hilarious oh yeah no the humor is definitely the right tone for sure and the actors look like they're having a complete blast on set with it um Armando Inanucci, if you all uh, remember, was able to get a Best Adapted Screenplay nomination for In the Loop, along with his writing team. So we have to consider this as a potential uh, threat in the screenplay category as a result if they go for it again. Especially in such a weak year for Adapted, like this could absolutely do it if it's good enough. Would this be considered Adapted? It's based on a graphic novel. Oh, perfect. And there's also a political relevancy to Russia today, I'm sure, sprinkled throughout. that could also help tie it in to a certain way. So I will say one thing that it doesn't, does it have a distributor yet? And it it doesn't have a distributor. It doesn't have a release date. I mean, 
It doesn't have the release date, but it's going to be distributed through IFC Films. Right, okay, so obviously Boyhood aside, they're not typically big contenders. It's true. But they could do things like screenplay, probably. I believe In the Loop was from them as well. Yeah, I think it's very possible. maybe that was Magnolia. It was one of them. If this ends up being like a 98 on Rotten Tomatoes and is one of like the most critically adored films of the year in a big way, uh, watch out for this potentially in screenplay. It could very well happen. I'm looking at the poster right now. It's very funny. It's two men playing tug of war with Stalin's mustache. <laughs> that might be my most favorite creative poster design of the year, possibly. That is really good. And it says the fight for leadership begins. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So these are I love comedic it. actors playing real people. I have to do some uh, homework. It looks like before I see the movie, just to you know learn more about Russian history in the fifties, but. Uh, you have Jeffrey Tambor, as we said before, Steve Buscemi, who looks sort of unrecognizable in that trailer. Yeah, I did not recognize it at all. And he's Khrushchev, right? Yeah. Yeah, but you could always tell from his voice that it's him. You know, Michael, if you need to get a brush up on Russian history, you could always go back and watch the animated version of Anastasia. <laughs> yeah, I love in that that Rasputin, who more than anyone would benefit from the monarchy existing in that film, in that film decides to, uh, to single-handedly bring about the Russian Revolution. Like, oh, yes, I would want to overthrow my employers that brought me off being a peasant. It's <laughs> always bothered me, you know, like, not worth has, has anyone here ever seen Russian Ark? No, that's the one take, right? Like, it's actually yeah. one take? Yep, it takes you through the entire history of Russia in one single take. It's so wild. It's insanity. I just love to imagine, like, the one actor who, like, just stepped out the wrong time, or, like, maybe the AC who, like, pulled focus a little too soon. Oh, damn it, Jim! You ruined like it! an hour and a half long take. <laughs> no! Back to one. Oh, man, that... Oh, God. <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> Bad news, guys, I left the lens cap on. <laughs> Next trailer now um, is going to be Darren Aronofsky's new film, premiering at venice i believe uh but also releasing in september we i mean jesus did they wait long enough to release some of the promotional materials on it or what uh it's starring jennifer lawrence javier bardem michelle pfeiffer ed harris this film is called mother exclamation point we spend all our time here i want to make a paradise she redid all of it every last detail and she breathed life back into every room are you happy? I love you. Please, come in. Hello. Hello. He's a stranger. We're just gonna let him sleep in our house. Hello. Hello. Did you know he had a wife? doing in their luggage what do they want god help you
<laughs> All I'm trying to do is bring life into this house. Open the door to new people, new ideas. I'm so sorry. Get out of my house! Yeah! You give and you give and you give. It's just never enough. No! Oh boy. So this? Whew. Um, I, well, I, here's what I will say. I'm very happy that Aronofsky is going back to the Requiem for a Dream, Black Swan, paranoia slash psychological horror, you know, esque type of film here. I think that's where his true strengths lie. Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan are probably his two most critically acclaimed films. The Wrestler, man. I forgot about the wrestler. Thank you. You're right. Um, that that too. But the fact that he's got two of these versus a film like the wrestler, which is only one, um, I, I would say that this is kind of like what he's more so known for than anything. Um, are these two films? Because Requiem for a Dream is really what kicked off his career. Uh, Pie too, to a certain degree as well. And then he got the Oscar nomination for Best Director with Black Swan, Natalie Portman winning Best Actress. So it's facing, I think, an uphill battle in terms of being compared to those other two films right away. And I've also heard that while this may not be an overall awards contender like Black Swan, it's very, very probable that the performances could still show up somewhere. By the looks of things, though, when you just take a look at the trailer on its own, this does not seem to have a distinctive quality about it that separates it from the rest of all the other horror films that one would probably see in a given year. You know, you put this in front of a casual viewer, I think they look at this and they see this on the same level as something like an Annabelle creation or whatever the case may be. You know what I mean? Do you think so? Really? I, I don't know. Based upon how it's being marketed, I don't yeah. see how people look at this and they say, oh, that looks different. It, to me, it looks like it's more of the Maybe same. Maybe I'm just blinded that I know it's from Aronofsky, that I don't see it that way. But but if they don't know who Aronofsky is, though. Yeah, I mean, Michael, it it is literally just marketed as a straight horror film. The only standout trait that they're really playing up is Johan Johansson's score that feels very Jackie in it. Oh, really? In the in the trailer, I mean, that... that oh, okay, yeah. Squeaking, clocking music, yeah. But, like... In general, yeah. I mean, otherwise, it's just going like straight horror marketing. You know, Black Swan immediately it was was kind of horror, but like certainly had some trappings of art house or prestige pick attached to it. This clearly is being marketed as like, oh, Jennifer Lawrence horror. You know? Yeah, maybe so. I just never thought of it that way. But again, maybe we're just blinded by. It's uh, funny because now that he has thought of it that way, now Michael's not going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm definitely seeing this one. Are you kidding? Michelle Pfeiffer looks so icy in that trailer. I'm seeing it a blanket. She looks so cold. I think she's going to underwhelm. Why do you say that? I don't think this is the awards contender that we may think it will be for her. Well, I didn't say awards contender. I just said she looks pretty damn good in it. I mean, yeah. I mean, when is Michelle Pfeiffer not, you know, fantastic? Well, I guess, I guess, I guess people have an answer to that question. But on the whole, Michelle Pfeiffer is pretty fantastic you know who really threw me off in this though javier bardem i don't know if uh based upon what i'm seeing here in this trailer if he is a right fit for this role here but then again i have to trust aronofsky's uh instincts but it just felt very odd just seeing him interact with jennifer lawrence 
Well, and let's be clear, someone did a chart showing her love interests in films, ages versus her age. I mean, Bardem is 50 years old. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. It's just... That's definitely what it is. It was kind of like having her with against Bale in American Hustle. It didn't seem convincing having her in that role because she was younger than I am right now in it while she's married to someone who's also 50 years old on screen. I don't know. It, I get when people say that, but on the other hand, she always seems so much older than she is. Uh, have you seen her in her talk show interviews? She's like a freaking immature child at times. No, in character. I'm talking like American Hustle. How She was, what, 23 there? Yeah. Yeah. I bought her as someone who was much older. No, than no. She was the weak I absolutely did. I bought her as someone in her 30s there. Watch. Now Michael's going to say I choose her over Lupita that year for the Oscar. Well, I didn't give her the win, but I actually did. <sighs> choose her over Lupita. My Sally God. Hawkins took the win, but my God, that's a different story. Uh, I love Jennifer Lawrence unabashedly. Well, I think that this could be a contender for the acting and the performances, potentially. Potentially. It looks a lot like Rosemary's Baby, which yeah, is very which interesting. Didn't Aronofsky directly compare it to? Yeah. Which I don't have a problem with, because if you take a film from the past and you simply borrow elements from it to create something that's new for modern audiences... I don't see an issue with that. I've heard some people complain about that comparison. I mean, that's what everybody pretty much does nowadays in film. It's very rare that you see something truly original come along. When Woody Allen did Blue Jasmine, he borrowed from a streetcar named Desire. Exactly. And look how that turned out. So, yeah, I don't see the complaint here. It's very interesting because you have, like, this young couple, very proud of their home. uh, or Not necessarily young, but you have the wife a lot younger than the husband, which you had with Mia Farrow and John Cassavetes. And then this older couple started sort of intruding upon that home at Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer. And then something with somebody as a mother. I, I don't know. The comparisons are there. Yeah. yeah. By the way, Kristen Wiig is in this movie somewhere. Is she? Yeah. Kristen Wiig and uh, Donald Gleason. Damn. But that is a damn good cast. Yeah. They were not shown in the trailer, which... I don't know what the role's going to be, but very intriguing. Probably something small. Oh, and uh, Jovan Odepo's in there, too, from Fences as well. Yeah, that's a great cast. Wow. Damn, yeah, that is a very great cast, actually, now that you just rounded it out like that. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm more intrigued. The reason that it took so long to get this marketing material was because he wants this movie to be a surprise for everyone that sees it, and he wants to keep as little time as possible in between the promotion and the festival premiere. That's also why they moved the movie up a month. Oh, so he's pulling an Alfred Hitchcock, basically. There's probably going to be, yeah. I guess, maybe a major twist in this. Ma- oh my god, imagine if Jennifer Lawrence gets killed like midway through the film, like Psycho. <laughs> Who knows? Oh my god, wouldn't that be fantastic? Oh Yeah, I... <laughs> I would be so excited, because like, imagine if the rest of the movie is like, following Kristen Wiig or Michelle Pfeiffer, or whatever, you know what I mean? I just... Oh, man, that dad would be, you know what, and it is a blatant ripoff, like you were saying before, at that point where he is borrowing influences from uh, Rosemary's Baby, from Psycho, from anything else possibly. But still, uh, especially for the casual audience member that doesn't understand film the way that we do, that dad will create waves, man. Alternatively, I feel like there's a good chance it turns out somehow or another Lawrence was pulling the strings the entire time and the true victim of a sacrifice, whatever it's going to be, turns out to be Bardem. Like, mm. if you're talking about a twist. Like, 
we'll see soon enough. It opens September 15th. Yep. So this is going to be uh, very, very soon. I hope to see it very soon myself. Okay. News of the week. What news? Tell us the news. What's the oh, good yeah, word? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, Let's see. So we have the uh, Russo brothers have started a production company. And the first film they have packaged is... Captain America 4. <laughs> Exit <laughs> West, which is a film that is not officially, but clearly about the Syrian refugee crisis. It's from an unnamed country, I think. But it's clearly supposed to be Syria. And Morton Tildum, who has been a bit of a mixed bag, is going to be directing. Uh, you know, Passengers was not well received, to put it mildly. And Imitation Game succeeded, although I've... Heard many criticize his best director nomination, arguing that the script is what makes that film work and not his direction, but we'll see where this goes. Um, Soldado, the follow up to Sicario, gets a June 2018 release date. I'm very intrigued about that. That film did not need a sequel, and I didn't necessarily need to know more about Benicio's character because what made him cool was how mysterious he was. But I'm interested to see where it goes. You know, like if anything can... that Taylor Sheridan is tied to, I'm on board for at this point. Right. But I do question how this will play out without the female lead, which is what I felt gave Sicario a different feel to it than your normal, typical, standard uh, drama thriller. Uh, Riz Ahmed has joined Tom Hardy's Venom movie in an unknown role, and I know a lot of people are thinking he's going to be the villain in a villain movie, probably playing Carnage. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy for Riz Ahmed that he's getting this kind of level of exposure. He was absolutely phenomenal in The Night Of, but I really don't care so much about this project, and uh, I, I hate to see Tom Hardy get sucked into uh, a franchise like this yeah but i will say of all the upcoming superhero films this one has the most potential since if sony's willing to play it that way it's a remember it's described as a horror film hold on a second is sony still run by uh tom rothman yes well then it's in trouble yes but i don't know i i think this project has potential it's supposed to be a horror film essentially Venom is objectively a villain, pretty much, and he's still going to be, I guess, our protagonist, and you have in current... I don't know, I, I maybe it's just how cool I thought those characters were as a kid talking, but I'm still intrigued. Um, let's see. Speaking of superhero films, Tim Miller, who directed Deadpool, is taking on a sci-fi film called Neuromancer, based on the famous uh, 1980s book by William Gibson. Um, something about AI, I'm not exactly sure what happens, but I think it's like an AI Frankenstein type story. So that's an interesting sounding sci-fi. Uh, James Gray's Ad Astra with Tommy Lee Jones and Brad Pitt's cast just keeps getting better and better. Both Ruth Nega and Donald Sutherland have joined the cast. Mm. And finally, I was very excited about this chaos walking cast that keeps getting assembled and then they added Nick Jonas. Why? Well, did you think... What did you think when Harry Styles was cast in Dunkirk? Okay, so here's what's different. Styles, all things considered, had a fairly small part still in Dunkirk. That he did a good enough job with what he was working with. Um, 
the character Jonas is playing is one of the most complex in the entire series. It's on paper a very meaty role. And probably the emotional center of the... If they make this a series, the emotional center of what would be the second film. I obviously haven't seen Nick Jonas try his acting chops beyond, like, the Jonas Brothers 3D in concert. But... <laughs> I am hesitant to give a big role like that to him. Hmm. But we, we'll see. I'm, st- I'm still very intrigued by that project. Charlie Kaufman doing a sci-fi is fascinating. So, yeah. But that is that is all my news for this week. It's been a bit of a slow week, and I've been very busy. So, um, We did get the official lineup for the New York Film Festival this week. A lot of good stuff there. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I thought last year's lineup was better. But then again, there are still um, some special screenings that might unexpectedly pop up, potentially. Um, You know, it's like, for example, like, I'm excited that Mudbound is coming. But at the same time, I'm underwhelmed because Mudbound will just be on Netflix and I'll be able to watch it on there. So, like, that doesn't matter so much because I'll be able to watch it from home fairly quickly. Call Me By Your Name. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, The Square. And uh, the the Florida project, I'm I'm pretty excited to see that overall. But at the same time, just in general, like as I'm looking at the list here, I don't really see much that jumps out at me as something to get truly, truly stoked about. It, it kind of just also reinforces the fact once again that I'm just bummed as all hell that I'm not going to be at Toronto this year. <laughs> Uh, Toronto's lineup really, really, really uh, kind of knocked me on my ass when I saw it. I was going to say, the reason New York is weak, I think, is all these big screens and premieres went straight to Toronto. Like, that is stacked. Yeah. Oh, in uh, a side note, did you guys see how badly Detroit dropped this weekend? Yes, it was horrible. It, it's down to $1,000 per theater, basically. Holy shit, that's bad. Yeah, it's just a massive drop. It overall only got three million. Like, I think it's safe to say I'm taking this one out of every Oscar prediction except for maybe a sound. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm pulling the same thing here. Uh, uh, God, it kills me. But yeah, I'm not taking out. I'm not taking it out of sound now. Um. So I, I guess we aren't going to mention it. Or we aren't going to cover it as a full trailer. But what did we think of the Loving Vincent trailer? Oh yeah, looks beautiful. I almost forgot about that one. Um, I think the animation is completely mind-blowing. I've never seen anything like it because it is the first of its kind. The question is um, in terms of whether or not it will be disqualified, and there seems to be uh, different schools of thought on whether or not it will be. I think it stands a chance to not only get nominated but possibly even win the category this year for Best Animated Feature. But it's just a matter of will the rotoscoping uh, hurt it and disqualify it overall. Yeah, once it gets over that hump of being eligible or not, then we could get a better idea of where it falls. I think it will be, you know, because everyone was talking about, oh, Waking Life wasn't, but Waking Life was in the first year of the category, you know, like Final Fantasy wasn't eligible that year either, I don't think. And the, that was, the category's expanded since then. They've reevaluated the rules, and by 2006, a scanner darkly was eligible. So I think rotoscoping clearly is eligible. You know, like, they, they clearly have their biases as the Lego movie didn't get nominated and uh, Tintin didn't get nominated. But I see no reason why this is ineligible. 
Just sticking with animated feature for a quick second here, does anyone here think it's possible that both Lego movies could get in? Sure, it's a weak year, and particularly with the new voting rules, they're high profile, so if everybody's voting, not just the animation brands, they're not going to know one of the G-Kids films necessarily. They're going to be like, fuck, what, a Lego Batman in uh, Lego Ninjago, yeah. In theory, I guess it could, but remember that the original Lego movie wasn't even nominated, and yes, I know that was just the animators picking it that year, but I don't know. Yeah, under this new system, it definitely gets in. Um... Okay, cool. Oh, I do want to just point something out uh, really quickly. I received a ton of feedback from last week's episode about Call Me By Your Name. So to everybody that wrote me, everybody that sent me a message, an email, thank you so, so much for clearing up some things about the movie for us. Um, Timothy Chalamet will be uh, campaigned in lead. Army Hammer and Michael Stuhlbarg will both be campaigned and supporting, I'm being told. Uh, the score for the film is going to be uh, disqualified, but original song will be in contention. Um, we know also that uh, James Ivory does have sole writing credit already. And another thing that was also cleared up, a lot of something that people wanted to make sure I understood and I knew, was that the age of consent in Italy is 16. Just for the record, I want to just point out, I, I don't think it's weird or taboo or anything like that at all. I could watch anything in film. I could watch fucking Sallow, for God's sakes. Uh, you know, it doesn't, nothing bothers me necessarily when it comes to a, a, anything like that of the sort. I mean, for J Jesus Christ, what's that movie called? A Serbian film? Yeah, I, I sat through that and I endured that. So I'm not necessarily offended or anything like that. All I questioned last week was how... I thought Academy members might respond to the film's chances overall um, as a result of that kind of a subject matter. I'm sure there'll be written pieces about it and so on and so forth, and I'm sure maybe the old guard of the Academy may take issue with it, like they seem to do every year with any film that comes along that's, you know, quote-unquote taboo. But overall... You know, that's unavoidable, and I don't think that we should write it off as an Oscar contender at all. I'm not saying that we should. I just simply was posing the question last week because I think it is going to play into the film's narrative one way or another, even if it is one of the most well-reviewed and also loved films of the year. So I just wanted to clear the air on that, and I want to just thank everybody who wrote in and, uh, you know, said something to me about it to help also clear the air on my skepticism uh, the week before. Mind you, it's not necessarily my own personal skepticism. I am so excited to see the movie. I can't wait to see it at the New York Film Festival this year, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to love it based upon um, certain people's reactions to it, whose opinions I hold in a very, very high regard. Uh, this was merely just me posing the question, as it, as it pertains to the Academy at large. So once again, thank you everybody very, very much. All right. End of rant. Yes, end of rant. <laughs> With that said, Michael, where can they find you on the internet? As always, you can find me on Twitter at MikeMovie. William. You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much for listening to episode 51 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, tune in, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, and CastBox. Thank you so much for all the reviews and feedback you have provided to us on iTunes. Keep sending them our way. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable by our standards. And we will see you all next time.
there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.